We're going to continue a study today that we began several weeks ago uh, called One Another. One Another. And we're looking at the uh, around a hundred, actually we're not going to look at each one, but there are about a hundred times in the New Testament when this two English word phrase, one another, uh, is used. It's translated from a Greek word, single Greek word, alelon. And so we encounter one of those times right here in the 50th verse of chapter 9 of the Gospel of Mark where it says, Salt is good. But if the salt loses its flavor, how will you season it? Have salt in yourselves and have peace with one another. Now I'm going to talk to you this morning about all that salt business there. But it's really important. But I want you to see before we do that, that Jesus, this is, you know, I've got a red letter edition of the of the Bible, and so the words of Jesus are in red. And I don't know if you can see that, but these are red words, meaning Jesus said them. And he said that we have peace with one another when the people of God are salty. Our world right now I, don't, I can't think of a word that would encapsulate the need of our world right now more than the word peace. Jesus said, we have peace when the, when the people of God are salty. So let's talk about that, shall we? First of all, let's talk about what he, where he begins when he says salt is good. You know, I was with my father-in-law a week or so ago, and uh, we were having watermelon, and he put some salt on his watermelon. I don't know if any of you guys do that. To me, that just sounds so gross. But he says, <laughs> he says it makes it taste, hmm. We have salted caramel. There's hardly anything, honestly, you can put, you can't put a little salt on and make it taste better. It brings out the flavors of things, right? It's good, it's good in spite of what your doctor tells you. No. <clears throat> but that's not what Jesus meant. He, you know, he, he's not talking about the, the white crystals in the little glass jar on the counter in your kitchen. He's clearly talking about us. And he's using this as a metaphor. He says, salt is good. You know, those crystals in the glass container on your counter do, do a lot of things. They season, as we've already talked about. They are, can be a preservative, or salt can be a preservative. It can be a disinfectant or an antiseptic. Uh, it, can, it can be used in detergents and cleansers. It's an antifreeze, meaning when the weather is so, uh, uh, you know, so cold that things are going to freeze up, it can keep stuff flowing. It's a fire retardant. Uh, it's a, an insecticide, a weed killer. Um, you know, I did some study on this this week. I had no idea how many uses there were for salt. When Jesus said salt is good, he was talking about us, and dear ones, he was saying that when we, his people, are salty, and again, I'll get to it in a minute what that means. We have this impact on the world around us. 
We can serve as seasoning this world. Bringing out the flavors that God intended in the lives of the people around us. We can act as a preservative, preserving force in this world. We can be a disinfectant, an antiseptic. When, when there's infection, we can be the answer to that. We can be a detergent and a cleanser. We can keep things moving like an antifreeze, antifreeze does when the, the environment is so anti-everything uh, and wants to freeze everything up. The people of God, when we're salty, we can be the agents that keep it flowing, the love of God flowing in a world that wants to close it out. We can be a fire retardant. When things seem to just be going up in smoke, God can use us to put that out. Insecticide, we, I, can, you know, I could go on and on. You get the point. Jesus meant it when he said, salt is good. When we, the people of God, are salty, it's a good thing. He said, however, if the salt loses its flavor, how will you season it? How do you get that back? Now, the kind of salt that they were used, used to using in those days and in that region came from uh, the Dead Sea. It was not processed or purified in the same way that our salt is today. The salt in that container on the counter in your kitchen will not lose its flavor over time. It has been purified. It has been uh, uh, refined in a way where it will maintain its salty characteristics. But in those days, the salt that they used was uh, gathered with impurities of other minerals that it was found among. And those impurities would desalinize or uh, diminish the characteristics of the salt over time to where you would have, what you would have left is just the appearance of salt. The crystals, but they didn't retain their flavor or their other characteristics. Jesus was saying Look, when, when the salt loses its flavor, what can you do with it? What value is it? How do you restore it? How do you make it salty again? This is a critical issue. He said, have salt in yourselves and have peace with one another. I want to submit to you today. Jesus said in Matthew 5.13 that we are the salt of the earth. If there's going to be peace in this world, and surely God knows we need it, it will be because the people of God are behaving in a way that is salty. Salty. But I think most of you would be aware of the fact that it's easy for us as the salty people of God to lose that characteristic as the impurities of the world encroach upon our souls. Now, I, as I said earlier in the service, I recognize that the issues that we are confronting today in our nation and in our world are very complex. 
I know some of you think they are black and white. God bless you. They're complex. And they're not easily solved. But peace will not come through all of the energy that we might want to expend in trying to solve those issues. I'm not saying it's not worthy to try to solve those issues. We do need to do that. But peace comes when the people of God are the people of God. Jesus said through the apostle, he said that the, the love of God is shed abroad through our hearts. It, it, it starts here. It starts with me. I don't get to point fingers at anybody else and say, if you would do such and so, if you would be different, if you would think this way, if you would act that way, I, it doesn't work that way. Peace begins right here in this man's heart. And until I take responsibility for my lack of saltiness in this world, I won't have the peace. We won't have. The world will not have the peace that, it's, that it needs. I, there are times, dear ones, when I just... I faint, I literally faint at the immensity of, of the evil loose in our world. And I just feel so overwhelmed by it and so like, God, what can I do? Maybe you do too. This verse should be a reminder to us to look no further than our own souls and say, this is what I can do. To whatever degree I have lost my saltiness, God help me regain it. That, that I could change my little corner of the world, my little sphere of influence. Because if we all did that, pretty soon it overtakes every evil that's, that's loose in this planet. That's what the Lord meant when he said, have peace with one another when you have salt in yourselves. I want to ask you to turn to Second Chronicles chapter 29. That's way back in the Old Testament. It may take you a few minutes to locate it. But chapter 29 of Second Chronicles, there is a First Chronicles. You don't want that. You want Second Chronicles chapter 29. While you're turning there, let me uh, remind you of something that um, you'll probably remember that you know, but um, we didn't, I didn't make a point of it when we were reading that verse in Mark chapter 9. But just preceding what we read, just above that, Jesus said, if your hand offends you, cut it off. In other words, if your hand is causing you to sin, cut it off. And he wasn't kidding. He said, if your foot is causing you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to walk around lame than it is to continue sinning. He said, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Better to be blind in one eye than to continue sinning. He was, this was extremely graphic, but he was saying that's what's at stake. That's why this saltiness thing is such a big issue. He says if you, if we get, 
a, a hold of the concept of how important it is that we resist the impurities of the world that want to desalinize us, we will get the fact that it's going to require me and you to be very uh, intentional about regaining my saltiness, our saltiness. The other day I was uh, just down the street here at McDonald's and yes, uh, talking about uh, salt, I, I eat there from time to time. <laughs> I was coming out from, from inside and uh, I noticed a young man um, sitting in his car. Uh, I want to be careful how I say this, but um, he was a, a young African-American man with a, a black hoodie pulled over, you know, so just his eyes could be seen, sitting low in his car, windows up, music blaring, kind of the, honestly, the sort of the stereotypical thing. And that's the problem. I found myself judging that young man. I knew nothing about him, but already just the, those few things I just mentioned created a judgmental attitude in my heart towards him. I pegged him as a certain type of person. You know, prejudice, I, look, if you asked, if had asked me five minutes before that happened, you know, what I think about prejudice, I would say, oh, it's the worst thing in the world, and I, I would have been thinking in my mind, I am the least prejudiced person in this planet. Found out otherwise about five seconds later. Prejudice means you prejudge someone. I prejudged that young man. He was parked right next to me. I got to my car, stuck the key in the lot, caught my reflection in the glass of my side window. And this thought occurred to me. I wonder what he thinks of me. When he saw me come out of that store, I wonder what, what his impression of was. I wonder how he might have prejudged me. And I realized that lurking in this man's heart is some impurities that has the, the effect of making me less salty. Friday night, that same night later on, I was uh, checking Facebook and I uh, saw a, an exchange between two Christians, two people I know, and uh, just really grieved me. They, they were carrying on a conversation that was really out of line for a believer. They, they, were, they were joking, and it, wasn't, but it, and it wasn't overt, but you clearly knew what they were talking about, and they were, um, they were joking in an off-color way about uh, sexuality kind of thing that, you know, a late night comic might do. And I thought, man, but because of what happened earlier in the day, I wasn't judging them. I was saying, boy, I bet I got some of that in my soul too. Listen, we kind of end up over time sort of winking, nodding at sin and tolerating a little bit of its effects in our lives rather than cutting off our hand. Jesus said, this is serious stuff. 
And when you, when you let it just sort of erode and eat around the edges of your life's um, intentions towards God, pretty soon you wind up looking like salt but having no flavor. And when that happens, there's no peace in this world. I asked you to turn to Second Chronicles, but because what we're going to find here is a situation that is so, so graphically depicts this that I can't think of anything more suited to our discussion today. The people of Israel <clears throat> uh, had a series of kings, beginning with David, in the, who was the uh, 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 who was the guy who slew the giant, you know, David and Goliath. That guy, he became the first king of Israel, and or the Jewish people. And then there was a long line of kings, and that after his son Solomon, there was actually a split in the kingdoms, and there was the northern tribes of Israel and the southern tribes of Judah, and they all had kings, and, but nearly all of them were pretty rotten. But they just simply reflected the nature of the people that they were leading, which was to want to always adopt the value systems of the world around them, the cultures around them, the kingdoms around them. And, and by the time we get to where we are here in 2 Chronicles chapter 29, it's really towards the end of that, that period of the kings. And things are so bad in Judah, so bad. The people have gone so whole hog for the paganism of the world. See, it didn't happen overnight. It was a long slide toward this point. But they have gotten to the place where they are so unsalty so not different than the rest of the world that the temple, the heart of the people's worship with God had become a dumpster. They'd filled it with trash and boarded it up As, and if there was anything that was symbolic of the hardening of our hearts, the unsalty condition we can arrive at. There you have it. And then along comes this guy, Hezekiah, who is the, a new king in Judah. Verse 3. In the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. Took the plywood off, put the hinges back on, and opened that stinking mess because it was full of garbage. Then he brought in the priests and the Levites and gathered them in the East Square. And I don't want to go any further before I remind you that although in this moment or that we're reading about, the priests were the descendants of a guy named Levi, a particular set of, or subset of the people of Israel. But I want to remind you that God, as early as the book of Exodus, the second book in the Bible, said, it's my intention that all my people serve as priests. It's God's intention that you and I, all of us who are Christ's followers, serve as those who point people to God, who uh, initiate that conversation between God and people. He wants for all of us to serve as priests. And so on this occasion... He gathers what's left of the priesthood. And in verse 5, he says to them, Hear me, Levites. Now sanctify yourselves. To sanctify means to set apart. Begin the process of regaining your set-apartness. 
Begin the process of regaining your saltiness. Sanctify yourselves. And this house, this house of the Lord of your fathers, and carry out the rubbish from this holy place. For your fa- our fathers have trespassed and done evil in the eyes of the Lord our God. They have forsaken him, have turned their faces away from the dwelling place of the Lord and turned their backs on him. They have also shut up the doors of the vestibule, put out the lamps, have not burned incense or offered burnt offerings in the holy place to the God of Israel. Therefore, because this is so, The wrath of the Lord fell upon Judah and Jerusalem and he has given them up to trouble, to desolation, and to jeering as you see with your eyes. Now, listen. When he says here that the wrath of God has been unleashed on on Jerusalem and Judea, he goes on and describes what that means. It doesn't mean that this angry, hateful God in heaven just starts firing lightning bolts at people. He says, here's how that happens. God uh, turns them over to what they want. He gives them what they want. Okay, you want this world? Here you go. That began way back in the Garden of Eden, dear ones, when God made men. He said, look, this, all of this is yours. Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We said, no thanks, we'd like some of that evil. God meant for us only to know good. We are the ones who decided we want a world where we know both good and evil. And so God says, okay. There, you know, the mercy of God is what holds back the consequences, much of the consequences of what we deserve for our sin. And and Hezekiah here says, okay, God has uh, caused his wrath to be unleashed by letting us have what we want. It's our fault, he says. We have what we wanted. For indeed, verse 9, because of this our fathers have fallen by the sword and our sons and our daughters and our wives are in captivity. Now, it's in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord, an agreement with the Lord God of Israel that his fierce wrath may turn away from us. My sons, would you with me hear the the word of God today to each of us? My sons, my daughters, look at me, would you? Hear the word of the Lord. My sons, my daughters, Do not be negligent now. That means don't miss this moment. Don't miss this opportunity. Don't neglect the now. Don't be negligent now. For the Lord has chosen you to stand before him, to serve him, and that you should minister to him and burn incense. Meaning, uh, there's so much in that those few phrases that I can't develop with you today, but just notice this, that, the, that we are being called in this moment to stand before the Lord. There's so much in that, but when you stand before God, there is nowhere to hide. There's nothing you can, nothing he doesn't know about you. There's no way you can spin, there's no way you can, you know, excuse. You're just 
naked before the eyes of God. But dear ones, that's, that's so, so valuable, so healing to just God see me for who I am. And the Lord says here, don't miss this moment. I have called you to stand, come, stand before me. Let's get all of this junk out of the way. I commission you to worship me. And on behalf of others, to serve me. And then to offer sacrifice. And uh, Romans chapter 12 says that the only reasonable offering that any of us can ever give God is our lives. It doesn't make any sense, dear ones, not to give him all you are. If he's God, why hold back anything? We trust him when we don't. He's God or he isn't. And if he's God, he deserves all that I am. And in that holy moment, when I stand before him and he reminds me that I am evil to my core, saved, forgiven, but evil to my core, then he can say, all right, I can restore. I can make you salty again. Verse 12, then these Levites arose. If you were reading in the New Living Translation, you'd see that it says, now they arose and got to work. Dear ones, it's time for us to do something. And I'm not saying that the doing of something might not include writing congressmen. I'm not saying the doing of something might not mean that you are engaged in some kind of peaceful demonstrations. I'm not saying that there are other, uh, other kinds of activities that you might involve in because surely this is a moment in our nation's and world's history when it's inappropriate to do nothing. But what I am saying is that whatever else, let's do this. Let's get our hearts right before God. Make me salty again, Lord. Make me salty again. You know, First um, Peter chapter 4, verse 17 says this, The time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. I mean, you might want, wish that judgment would begin on the Democrats. <laughs> but God says that it's time for judgment to begin at the house of God. Let's get our soul, let's get our hearts right before God. And then we have this amazing promise in 2 Chronicles 7:14, where God says this, God says this, God says this, if my people who are called by my name. I don't know about you, but I tend to think of myself as a Christian. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, their wicked ways, their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. This is recording number 11219. 
from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Foursquare Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, July 10, 2016. This is the ninth message in a series titled, One Another. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, Being Salty.